Well, it's my privilege to introduce the folks from the Master's Mission. We appreciate them very much. Enjoy your newsletter. I remember one of the news articles that came out several years ago said that the Lord has called you to take the gospel, not just to the end of the paper, but the end of the world. And that's good. We appreciate that. Appreciate your heart very much. Come up here and share with us and also a little bit about Paul. Well, good morning, church family. Good morning. Good morning. I'm uh, sorry, Jim is here and not Paul. <laughs> I don't know how the wires got crossed. Our uh, our office manager said, Jim, are you willing to speak at Blue Ridge Bible October 8th? I said, sure, I'd love to be there. I always enjoy Peter's Sunday school classes. And I, I don't want to throw our office manager under the bus because that's Barb and I'll pay for it. <laughs> but uh, I don't think Paul and Callie got the word, so don't blame them. It's the fault's all on, on this end with the old folks. Um, Paul, my dad, his last couple months, he's had Parkinson's for 15 years, maybe longer, um, bought it back. Uh, last couple months, he's really gone downhill very quickly. Um, my brother and I have a tag team taking care of him. Um, but this last uh, weekend, he was in the hospital uh, for uh, a bed sore and for uh, minor pneumonia and some other things. So he's he went to the nursing home in Robbinsville uh, a couple days ago, two days ago. Um, so I don't know. He's, he's um, Getting cranky, says no, life's no fun anymore. And then he eats ice cream and works uh, up. So, but he's he's had a great race. Those of you that know my dad, he was born in Kenya, grew up there. His parents were uh, missionaries in Kenya for fifty some years. His dad was a Bible scholar, translated the Bible from the original languages to the second largest tribe in Kenya, the Kama tribe. He started the first. Uh, Bible school in East Africa that's still going today, still faithfully following the word. The dad was a sworn officer in the British security forces at age 14, fought through the Mau Mau terrorist uh, years there in Kenya, came to the States for college, went back to the Congo when I was a year old, just in time for Patrice Lumumba to be killed and the Simba Rebellion to erupt. God used to have to get a lot of people out of that country alive. He a pioneer missionary in North Kenya, two different places. Um, a man who's um, just revered in that country because of his faithfulness, his love for Christ, his love for the people, his uncompromising stand for what's right. Uh, we, you know, a, a son knows his dad, knows all the secrets, and my dad is one of those righteous men mm -hmm. in the thousand that we're going on spell. And been interesting as he's uh, starting to consider eternity. A couple of years ago, he, he made us track down one of his you know, acquaintances from high school in Africa. He said, "I have to find this man." He said, Dad, even with the internet, that's you know, that's back in the dark ages. Um, but we did manage to find out where that man was currently living and that he was still alive. And uh, Dad said, I think to Barbie and to Chris, my sister-in-law, 
mail him a check for $300. I borrowed $3 from him when we were seniors in high school, and I don't think I ever paid it back. Oh, wow. So we did. Dad wrote an apology letter, dictated an apology letter, and we got a letter back. Oh, I don't remember that. And, you know, I just appreciate your, how you follow Christ. So it's just, he's run a great race. He's uh, most of the time, mentally, he's okay. His normal, gracious self, but physically, I, I think probably for too long he'll get to go. So just pray for pray for him and the family. You know, that's a as we consider God's word this morning, and the, the thing I'd like to talk to you about. I, I don't come to a missions conference and do my normal custom of just preaching through a book expositionally, but try to try to bring something that is appropriate and biblically sound uh, to challenge you as a church family to do your part better in the Great Commission. And when we look at the American church, and I consider, you know, my grandparents, my parents, the American church has this wonderful legacy in taking the gospel to the world. Uh, probably like no other nation in history has done faithfully for generations. And Barbie and I were in Kenya in April and May, and is a country that basically could be divided into two parts. Half of it has had the gospel for a while and has strong churches. The other half is about 20 tribes that are barely, have barely been exposed to the gospel. Many of the folks there have not been. And that's a country that's also been one of the places where, because of the influence of the Word of God in that developed part, it has been welcoming of missionaries, had the support of the national government to do mission work. And it's been a place that's been a springboard to the neighboring countries that have not had that kind of security. And so there's always been this large missionary force in Kenya along with an infrastructure that's been built up over generations of guest houses in the capital city and uh, flying programs and medical programs so that those missionaries like us who were up in the other half of this very large country in places next to Somalia and Ethiopia, we had support when we had medical emergencies for our family members and for our neighbors. We could get a plane up and fly them out. We, we had medical people, missionaries that we could send folks to, and they would not only be treated but physically, but they would be confronted with the gospel, and it would be enforced what they were hearing from us. We got to Kenya in April and found that there's no more missionary groups. That, you know, we saw the attrition with the older long-term missionaries retiring, and we, we saw some younger folks coming out maybe not committed to long-term, but be willing to entertain that. And, and then COVID shut the world down and, you know, the fear that that's engendered. And you, you, you see now that there are a handful of missionaries left. Because there are not missionaries to support, we're losing that whole logistics space that's taken generations to establish. The Legacy mission agencies that provide those services for all of us are selling the big guest house. The flying program that had a wonderful, actually, that's one of the things that dad started in Kenya was the flying program, the Amer. Uh, that 
wonderful hangar that's there that has always handled all of our logistics and our mail services and our finances and everything else. It, it's a large aircraft hangar with three floors, four floors. Now the mission force is on one floor, part of the hangar. The rest has been rented out in commercial interest just to try to keep the lights. And unless God works in the faithful church here in America and brings young people who are willing to take the gospel to the ends of the earth back to Kenya, we're going to lose that logistic support. And the faithful few that go there not going to have that support. And, you know, we're likely going to pay a price. You know, we see a lot more missionaries and their children dying just because of going back to missions like first century missionaries that went out never came back uh, and that that breaks my heart to see this legacy that we've enjoyed for generations going by the way chairman of our board asked me last month we were traveling up from a meeting in florida and he said now does the american church really believe still believe that the bible is true mm -hmm. People who do not believe in Jesus Christ really are going to spend eternity in hell. So it doesn't seem like it to me. We live, I think it's very safe to say now, in a post-Christian society. We've enjoyed a, 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 a society that had a Christian culture. It was so permeated with believers who were salt and light that that. You know, we've had a, a system of law and a, and a culture that has given lip service, at least, to the God of the Bible, spoken reverently about the God of the Bible, and that's all gone. Saw the battle in me this week, that great site on the internet. Uh, I, 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 I should have brought it here and read it to you, but it posted this weekend a, a meme that the FBI has just put God on a watch list because of his unequivocal statements that are pro-life. And, you know, we we, we kind of chuckle at that, this satirical site, and yet when we look at what's happening in this country, that's where we're at. But what about the American church? Our lieutenant governor, after all, you know, Mark Robinson, came out to Robbinsville months ago and spoke in the high school packed audience it says America has two problems we have politicians who will not support and defend the constitution and we have pastors in the pulpits who will not support and defend the word of God and I think I think he's exactly right this morning I'm not talking to one of those churches I'm talking to a church it does support the word of God. And I, I want us to look at a prophet of God who um, was called to take the word of God to an alien people, and he didn't want to do it. So you all know who I'm talking about. I want us to see if any of the lessons Jonah learned might apply to us. Again, I, I, I do think it's pointless to to, to challenge and speak to the American church, the American 
scribes and Pharisees, if you will, who are committed to the religion and making a living from religion and have lost the heart of, of, of the gospel and have denied the word of God. But I think for God's people, the faithful church, you know, we can say, well, we're, we're doing all we can. You know, look at us. We're small in number. You're going to say, well, maybe, maybe not. I know that when, when times are hard, when things are tight, when economies crash, when 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 wars encompass the world, it seems like those are the times where God prods the faithful remnant. And they they can't do it. But he can do it through them. And he can empower them to do things that are absolutely world changing. So I'm speaking to your church this morning, frankly, because I know you do have the reverence for the word of God. You do want your lives to count. I, I think that's safe to say. I've seen your faithfulness over the years, not just the minute with the ministry I've been a part of, but also with my my children in Palm Cali or, or in a new church in Knoxville. They're helping start a new church plan and all has been asked to stay in the States for another year and a half or so to help them get their missions program off the ground. So that's what they're doing. They're doing well. Amazing what, what good grandkids we have. It's hard to believe. I, I guess that's because of Callie's, Callie's efforts. But if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Jonah. And I'm not going to read the whole book. I was tempted to. <laughs> um, but I'm sure Abe is... Is not the only one that doesn't want the pastor to preach to you. <laughs> so I like to just read the first four verses to kind of set the stage. You would stand with me as we read God's words. This is the only perfect, infallible part of serving this man. <laughs> now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these men who mm have -hmm. gone before us, served you imperfectly, but faithfully and genuinely. Father, as we look at the story of Jonah this morning, this, this prophet of God, to teach us from your word. Father, I pray that I'd be able to accurately give the sense of the story of your see how it would apply to us. Father, we know that your word speaks to every person in every age. Father, we just pray that your spirit would teach us from your word this morning. In Jesus' name, I pray. You can be seated. Well, Jonah's, Jonah has a bad reputation. We know that from Sunday school, right? But the evidence of scripture is that Jonah was a faithful prophet with an effective ministry during the reign of the evil king of Israel, Jeroboam II. 
We first run into Jonah in 2 Kings 14, 25, and we read that he, Jeroboam II, restored the border of Israel from Lebo Hamath as far as the Sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath-Hefer. The next few verses of 2 Kings explains how Jonah was a prophet during a time when Jeroboam was being used by God to, to expand the borders of Israel, to give him a time of peace and prosperity, not as a reward for Jeroboam's faithfulness to the Lord, but in spite of Jeroboam's wickedness, because God had compassion on his people Israel. So we see that, that Jonah was God's prophet in a time in his society, very much like the prophets in our time. We, we see a nation, I mean, we, we look at our economy and uh, I've got news for you, we are in a recession. <laughs> we, we are <laughs> having, you know, prices go up. There is inflation regardless of what the White House is saying. But we still live in the most peaceful, prosperous nation the world's ever known. Now, it's not prosperous. We're not still well off because of the righteousness of our leaders. But in spite of it, because of God's compassion. And so when we look at the time of Jonah, we see a time very much like our own. We see Jonah the prophet, and God is using him in ministry in that place. There's those who say, well, the story of Jonah is just a myth. It shouldn't really be in the myth. Well, take that up with the Son of God. Amen. You know, Jesus quotes Jonah's ministry twice in Matthew 12, 40. He says, Jonah's time in the belly of the great fish is a sign of his time in the tomb prior to his resurrection. Matthew 12, 40 and Matthew 16, 4. The other thing is when we, we think about Jonah's character, and, and again, Jonah doesn't come out looking very good in this book. But where do we get the information from this book? Who is the only eyewitness to everything that occurred here? Is Jonah. And Jonah has the integrity to tell us exactly how he failed. <laughs> Have the integrity to tell us exactly how hateful he was towards the people of Nineveh. Mm -hmm. Jonah's the one that records that. Finally, buried in the book of Jonah is evidence that Jonah was a man who cared about God's word, studied it diligently until it became his vocabulary in good times and in time when times were terrible for Jonah, and he found himself in the belly of a great fish. And Jonah prays there in, in Jonah chapter 2. He says there in, in verse 2, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Where do we see that phrase in Scripture? Psalm 120, verse 1. It goes on down there in verse 3. The end of verse 3, all your waves and your billows passed over me. Quoting Psalm 42, last part of Psalm 42, verse 7. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, Psalm 31, 22. 
Verse 5, the waters closed in over me to take my life, Psalm 69.1. Verse 7, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, Psalm 142.3. Verse 8, those who pay regard to vain idols, Psalm 31.6. John ends his prayer with, end of verse 9, salvation belongs to the Lord, Psalm 3, verse 8. See, this man Jonah was, you know, that we tend to denigrate the prophet of God. Cared about God's word. He knew God's word. It comes out, as he, even his prayer is, he's quoting from various psalms as part of his prayer. Now, Jonah's people, he's a prophet to Israel during the reign of Jeroboam II. We know that was from 782 to 753 B.C. And during Jonah's days, I said, Israel become a post-Christian society much like our own. Sure that, you know, we don't know what Jonah was thinking when God tells him to go to Nineveh more than what the Holy Spirit has preserved for us. But perhaps Jonah, like many Christians in America, thought, why should I be missionary to the people over there. Those Assyrians, that great city Nineveh, which is mentioned all the way back in Genesis chapter 10, one of the great cities of antiquity. Why should I go there? Look at the people of Israel that I'm a prophet to. Look at their disobedience. They need to hear about the holiness of the God of Israel. They need to repent. They need to get back on track. Look at all the, the people in Israel that need me to speak to them. Why should I go there? Does that sound familiar? Perhaps said, you know, there's such a famine of God's word in my own country. Also, like America, Israel in Jonah's days, I said, was a comfortable place. You know, they're Government work. There was a lot of terrorism. There was a lot of prosperity under Jericho II. Why should I give up everything and risk everything to go to a pagan people? Does that sound familiar? I hate to quote John Calvin in a Baptist church, but <laughs> John Calvin commenting on Jonah wrote this. It might have been then that he was sent to Nineveh. That the Lord, being wearied with the obstinacy of his own people, might afford an example of pious facility on the part of a heathen and uncircumcised nation in order to render the Israelites more inexcusable. It is then probable that this prophet was taken away from them that the Ninevites, by their example, might increase the sin of Israel. For in three days they turned to God after Jonah had preached it. Well, what is, do scripture support what John Calvin says? Well, how does, how does Christ end comments about the ministry of Jonah? Talking about Israel. The people of Nineveh are going to rise up in judgment for greater than Noah and his good. During our time in Africa this spring, one hand, we were greatly disturbed by the dearth of missionaries. But on the other hand, we were encouraged by what's happening in Africa. You know, big picture, those, those nations 
are not in such rebellion against God that they deny that human beings are created in the image of God, male and female. Hmm. We also saw that the believers there in Africa amidst great poverty and great trials and tribulations and hardship, we saw faithfulness that is lacking in most of our churches here in America. About six months before we went to Kenya, I got an email from a, a gentleman in Kenya. He said, my, he introduced himself. I'm a pastor in Western Kenya. Pastor Tom, when you're in Kenya next time, would you be willing to meet with me? I emailed him back and said, yeah, I'm happy to. I'll let you know when my next trip is. So I put that those things that I'm liable to forget, I leave on my desk and they pile up. So Barb and I are preparing to go to Kenya in April. I emailed Reverend Tom and I said, Reverend I'll, uh, Tom will be in Kenya these dates and, and I'll make sure and call you when I get there, we'll get together. Well, we hadn't gotten through passport control in the airport and I get a call from Tom. Are you in Kenya yet? Yeah, I said, I, I have to go up north. I have things I have to do, government offices. Uh, but when I get back from the north, Tom, I'll give you a call and we'll set up the time to meet. So we got done in going to line, got back to Nairobi. I called Tom and I said, Tom, I can, I have Saturday, all day Saturday. He said, great, I'll be there Saturday morning. We set a place to meet and he got on a bus Friday night, came to Nairobi, spent the night. We met in the restaurant the next morning. You know, I, I'm looking around the restaurant early in the morning and he stands up and I say, are you Reverend Tom? Yeah. I sit down and order coffee to kind of turn on the neurons and he says, uh, you don't remember me, do you? And I said, no, Tom, I don't think we've ever met. So when you came to Kenya in 93 and you taught in the New Life Bible School, Swahili speaking school for men already in the ministry, said my church sent me down for a course there. I was an elder in a local church and um, you were te teaching the class on ecclesiology. And he said, you were so certain that the word of God had all the answers we needed for God. He said, and, and after that class, I went home and told my church, I think God may be calling me to pastor. So, so I went to Bible school, four years of Bible school, my pastor in Western Kenya. And he said, we have a group of churches in the area that have been burdened by the Lord to, to take the gospel to some of these tribes that are traditional enemies that haven't, haven't had the gospel, don't have any churches. Um, but we need help. And so I think, okay, here comes the, the request for the American college. And I said, well, Tom, what help do you need? He said, we don't need money. Our churches have you know, we have faithful people who are giving what God's given them. And he said, we have some young people that believe God may be calling them into ministry. But he said, we don't know how to take the gospel cross-culturally to those other tribes. And Jim, you understand the hostility between the tribes. Thank you, Rwanda. He said, we need, we need, we need an older brother who knows how that's done. Can share with us the principles of the word of God and will help us begin to do that. You know, so 
would you be willing to, to do that for us? And I said, sure. So, you know, it looks like God may be opening the doors for Barbie and I to come back before we're over the hill and spend a few more years in North Eastern Canada. We'd love to do that. Then from there, Barbie had to come back a week before me. She has, she's in the middle of a paramedic class. She graduated end of November. And um, so I stayed on and went to the Congo, the Democratic Republic of Congo. And the master's mission has a tiny little Bible school, CCLK, in the shore of Lake Kivu in the town of Goma, which is probably one of the most miserable places on earth. It has an active volcano that regularly erupts and wipes out parts of the town, villages, um, surrounding area. It also is a town that's usually surrounded by rebel armies, supplied by across like you do foodstuffs and, and things. It's right on the border of Rwanda. It had a lot of that consequences of the genocide there. there and, and just a fairly miserable place. And the Masters which has a little Bible school in that city. And uh, so big. <laughs> so, and that, that Bible school has always bumped along. And we've had missionaries there. We had to pull out Rwanda genocide. It flooded into there. And we had a young couple there with small kids. We had to pull them out. And they served many, many years faithfully in Kenya. They were retired. Uh, then we had a one of the Congolese men and his wife came to the training in North Carolina for a year. came back and helped keep the place going. We had a, retire, a retired missionary from New York, a retired couple, a veterinarian, and his wife that spoke French and Swahili went back and, and kept things going for 10 years. And then, then we had no one to go there. And I was put in touch with a young Anglican man, uh, Martin Gordon and his wife, three little kids that live in Goma. And Martin agreed to take over the directorship of the school for a couple of years and try to get it on, on its feet. I was called to the graduation this year, 17 students from my body school. I spoke at the graduation there in, in May. And I had the opportunity there, I was there for several days, most of a week, and met with the students and their families. And uh, these are Congolese that could leave. They're all fluent in French, English, Swahili. And those 17 guys are going back to those little towns and villages in that dysfunctional country to make disciples. Establish and strengthen churches of Jesus Christ. So I, I won't tell you the rest of the story of my time in Goma. I missed my plane. It left early. You know, in Africa, the schedules are a little bit different than here. I'm running down the air, the airstrip. Wait for me, wait for me is my plane taxing and my bag falls out of the belly on the pavement. Oh. It's not a, my favorite place to be stuck. Mm -hmm. And uh, Long story short, but I managed to bribe my way onto flight going to Ethiopia and get back on the grid. But um, it, it just humbling to see um, that these men, poor people, poor churches, facing unimaginable hardships for us. And yet, you said the joy of the Lord, and God has called us to be faithful to Him in this place. And to see that is. Very, very humble. Well, 
just wish my people, my American brothers and sisters, had that same Jesus used the repentance of the Ninevites to condemn his people, the Jews. He said in Matthew 12, 41, the Africans, they condemn us. Is there faithful to Christ? Well, that's the prophet and that's his people, but there's another people, Jonah 1, 2. Jonah's commanded to go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up against me. Jonah's called to go to the Assyrian capital of Nineveh, 500 miles to the east of Israel. He has no intention of doing that. He goes, heads on a boat to Tarshish, 2,000 miles in the other direction. God sends a great storm and a great fish, get Jonah back on track, and it works. And Jonah goes to Nineveh and faithfully preaches about God's coming judgment on the city. And unlike Israel, where Jonah has preached God's judgment for years and years, the Ninevites from the Kinglon down dress themselves in sackcloth and fast that perhaps God might relent, turn away his wrath from us. Because of their genuine repentance, God relents concerning his immediate judgment on the people of men. And we're rightly critical of Jonah because he didn't write back to his church in Israel and say, praise God, all those people repented. He says what? I knew this was going to happen. You're a merciful God. And I wanted you to wipe out these people. And so he sets up on a bluff overlooking the city to see what's going to happen. God appoints a plant, shade, appoints a worm, get rid of that castor oil plant like our zucchini vine. And Jonah cares more about the plant than the people of Nineveh. Why? Well, because that was his shade. It's personal comfort. I care more about my comfort than the salvation of the Ninevites. Part of their own personal comfort in our measure of obedience to God's command to go baptize each in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And God indicts his prophet in the last of his words recorded by Jonah. The Lord said, Jonah, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in the night. Should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which they are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. Jonah, do you hear yourself? I know your church, we read the Bible as a church that wants to be faithful. When I look at the dearth of missionaries in Kenya, it would be one thing if it was just that one country where we had that little aberration going on. It's worldwide. One of our board members has been leading the large legacy mission in Southern Africa. For the last few years, he's been there liquidating the assets of that legacy mission because there are no missionaries. Something that's happening worldwide. The number of candidates we've been getting at the mission has been dwindling. We had Couple in the single guy last year, this way it takes falling up on candidates. 
we're looking at a, an American church where, I mean, it starts at the basic level, the foundation building block of the families, where young people aren't being discipled by their parents. Goes to the churches where many of our churches, the you know, we just have to be entertained and we have to make sure we're up with the current cultural things. We have to have critical race theory component. We have to have the DIE component and everything else. I and mean, we have churches now that are, we have the head of the Catholic Church now affirming homosexual marriage. I need to represent Christ. And unfortunately, as Protestants aren't part of And so we, we look at all of that and we, we say, well, Lord, what, what do we do? We have unfaithful churches that aren't missions is no longer even on the radar. For those churches that it is, we read the Bible, what we don't have you As a mission, we we we've realized that we can't recruit those folks that the churches have prepared for ministry because the churches aren't doing that anymore. And so we're backing up and we're saying to the churches and to families, Lord, send us your young people who do have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us disciple them for a year. And we're praying that out of that number, there will be those who God touches and raises up to take that gospel to you. So we're, we're kind of backing up a step. We're going to the churches that are faithful and saying, look, we're not asking the people in their 20s that are ready to go. We're saying, you have young people who might benefit by a year of living with God's people studying the word of God without the distractions now that our society Amen. has in front of them. And that God would use that time if not to take them to the mission field to establish strong biblical families and be strong members of local churches that will support those who would take the gospel, not just to their Jerusalem and be able to be disappeared. So that's my challenge to you as a church. Do we believe the Bible is God's word? Do we believe that people without Christ are going to spend eternity in hell? We do. Let's be Let's make it. Father in heaven, I thank you for the prophet Jonah. I thank you for his faithfulness in recording his failures. Father, for his faithfulness in recording your might and your power and your faithfulness. Father, your grace, graciousness, and mercy in saving an entire city. Father, I ask that each of us would say, Lord, what are you calling me to? What might you have us? Might you have me do in building your kingdom? Father, then give us the opening way to In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.